Boy, when you look around the world, things aren't too bad in old southwestern Ontario, other than maybe a little bit of drizzle. London Knights game tonight. Have you seen a Leaf fan today? You don't even have to ask somebody if they're a Leaf fan. Have you seen a Leaf fan today? They're the people who are just smiling. What are you smiling at? They won't even tell you because they're in such a euphoric state of mind, it takes them a while to realize someone is talking to them because they're still thinking back to shootout goals by Mitch Marner and goals by William Nylander. He can still score. They're just smiling. Hey, what are you smiling about? Huh? What? Oh, sorry. (laughs) The Leafs beat the Bruins last night. The only person not smiling is Bob. Bob, we're feeling your pain. It's a long series. Best of seven. Don't worry about that. McGill is dropping the name Redmen. There's be a few other organizations that drop names. We're going to talk about that in a little while. And the proof is this. Washington Bullets. What are they? I don't even remember them. What, did they play in the ABA? No. They were the Washington Wizards of the NBA until somebody said, yeah, you know that name Bullets? Yeah, probably not good, considering Washington is one of the murder capitals of the United States on a pretty regular basis. So they changed it to Wizards, and now that's what they are. They're in salary cap hell, but that's what they are. It's the Washington Wizards, and that would happen for another Washington team, and it would also happen for a Cleveland team, so get on it. We'll talk about that in a little while. We are also going to be in conversation with Rob Cunningham from the Canadian Cancer Society. We're going to be talking about vaping, so if you know someone who vapes, maybe you vape, maybe you've seen teenagers who vape, they seem to enjoy vaping because they're teenagers, they're not all that bright, they get smarter. But we're going to be talking in about an hour about vaping and a perspective that the Canadian Cancer Society has that you might be interested to pass on to a vapist or vapor. I think it's a vapor, isn't it? I don't know what it is. Uh, This weekend, we are also going to hear from Colleen Keel. We're going to meet Colleen today. Set your PVR because you may know Colleen. Colleen's from London. And Colleen married someone from Grand Rapids, Michigan about a year and a half ago. And... Then having, essentially, status in the United States, she came to a realization that she was now eligible for American game shows. And Colleen has this ability with letters and words, so Wheel of Fortune was right down her alley. What do you know? She went through the hurdles And she's made it. She's going to be on Wheel of Fortune on Tuesday. You'll want to PVR that. Wheel of Fortune Tuesday. The episode will read new on your guide. So record that. And we're going to talk with Colleen later today. And then we'll recap what happened on Wednesday. And coming up in about 10 minutes from now, we'll talk with Jane Roy from the London Food Bank. Today's a big day because they kick off the spring food drive, but we want to take our conversation about food waste from yesterday and look at how things are being done that are maybe not minimizing, because I don't think that's the right word, but changing the amount of food waste that grocery stores have and in the same way, helping out the food bank. I've never understood this. I guess I have. There are food rules. Maybe it's because I've never owned a restaurant or a grocery store. There's got to be something we do with the amount of food that gets thrown out in order to turn that into something that is more usable. Well, what do you know? They are doing that, and we're going to find out more about it. First up, though, Nights and Storm tonight. 
We happen to have Knights tickets. If you would like to win Knights tickets, you've come to the right place. There are still a few tickets available for the game, even if you do not win these next two tickets that we're giving away. We have a skill testing question. This is a phone contest, so we'll open up the phone lines right now. 519-643-2222. That's 519-643-2222. Here comes the skill testing question. How many Game 6s have been played in the OHL playoffs so far. So far, how many Game 6s in a series have been played in the OHL playoffs so far? All we're doing is looking for a number, and if you happen to have that right number, then guess what? You will be off to the game. Rob, you have the first shot at this. Oh, I'm going to go. Got to get you to turn down your radio just a little bit. Okay. Sorry, but I'm going to go with uh, one. You're going to go with one. You are... Mm, man, you are close. There will be a Game 6 tomorrow night. We can tell you that. Rob, thank you because you've helped out somebody else. It isn't one, but Rob is really, really close. Martin, can you go in the right direction on this one? Martin, what do you think? Martin, are you still there? Martin, was your guess one? I'm thinking it was. 519-643-2222. John... Do you know which direction you need to go in? The answer is not one. I think it's, there hasn't been a sixth game yet. You are exactly right. Congratulations. There were five sweeps in the first round, three series that went to five games, <laughs> and there will be a game five for London and Guelph tonight. There will be a game five for Saginaw and Sault Ste. Marie. The first game six will not take place until tomorrow, so you are right. The answer is zero. John, hang on. We'll get some information, and you are off to the game tonight. Thank you, Mike. Go, go nice go. I think, I think that's what John was going to say. I'll fill that in. Let's talk some London Knights right now, because guess what? Joining us from Budweiser Gardens, where he is now and will be later on, is London Knights Associate General Manager Rob Simpson. Rob, you're coming off a game in which the Guelph Storm won 4-3. You've had a day to think about it. You've had a day to prepare for this next game. What has it been like preparing for Game 5? Uh, you know, we've watched, obviously, our game team back from, from Game 4, kind of drilled down on some areas that we think we need to improve on to be able to give us a better chance to be successful in game five and also you know done some individual video and team video with the players now you could look back at game four and say there were just these saves that anthony popovich of guelph made he made some really good stops and and then at the other end of the ice there were just these tips that happened to go in and and you can kind of shrug your shoulders and say "Eh, that's sports can you do that in any way, or do you try and stay away from things like that as a team? Uh, you know, obviously you're going to look back, you know, at the game and you're going to review the first three games and the fourth game. And, you know, I think in the first three games we had things go our way. And last game there was some good tips that they got or pucks that went off people's pants and went in, and that's just going to happen in, in hockey. But that's stuff that you can't control. What you can control is – you know, your structure that you play with, uh, you know, your your gaps and, and taking away time and space in the defensive zone to be able to try to eliminate those pucks getting to, to the net and, and having some funny things happen like that. And I think that's where you have to have your focus and, your, and the attention of your team drawn towards rather than, 
you know, some funny bounces or, you know, some big saves by the other goalie. Sure. Knights Associate General Manager Rob Simpson joining us. Don't forget, Knights and Storm tonight. There are still a few tickets available. You can still be at this. It is game number five. The Knights lead the series three games to one. Rob, you still have a relatively young team. How do you kind of settle down the idea that, oh, okay, well, if we don't get a win tonight, then, oh, a game six happens, and, oh, there could be a game seven out there when this series was 3 nothing. How do you deal with that? I think you, lead on your, you lean on your leadership group a lot. You know, you have guys like Alex Vermenton and, and Evan Bouchard that, you know, Alex didn't play in the Memorial Cup, and uh, and Evan uh, was with us the whole year that year. But Alex came along with us. They they've been in situations like this before. They've been through long playoff runs. They have experience in these situations, and I think you lead on lean on them uh, to help convey that message across to your younger players. And I think they're going to lead by example as far as their mannerisms and and how they conduct themselves leading in this. Just to worry about game five and and giving our best effort here tonight and not worry about anything else finally talking about that memorial cup team what was it like watching mitch marner do what he did and then in the late game matthew kachuk do what he did last night it it's no surprise you know this you're the type of player that you know like mitch and and matthew and and dvorak were when you have success at the junior level in the playoffs and you can do what they did and you can show that you can take your game to another level under all that pressure. It's just going to translate eventually at some point to the NHL for most of these players. You see that with even Robbie Thomas now, who had great success in the playoffs for us and, and last year, uh, having success in, in the playoffs for St. Louis and helping that team along the way. So it's something that, you know, I think a lot of players are just competitive that way. And when they have that experience and they have success in those moments, uh, it really can elevate and kind of stick with you throughout your career. Big moments are always big moments, right? You do it once, you can do it again. Yeah, exactly. And it was, you know, it was pretty special to watch Mitch last night, and you know, from when he was 15 coming in to now, and and leading that team the way he did last night. I, I think all of our staff had a big smile on our face after. Well, congratulations on on what you guys have done to help those guys in their careers. Uh, you strapped on the pads a couple of times in in practice, you know, to be an extra goalie when a goalie needed a day off. Did Mitch ever pull the move that he did on the shootout on you? <laughs> I can't even remember. I might have been in the corner a couple of times, Bubsy. <laughs> so he probably pulled a few off on me. I wasn't very good in that there. So. <laughs> well, you're not a natural-born goalie, but you could have fooled a lot of people. You look good in that. Yeah. yeah, I just get it done with compete. That's about it. No skill. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, thanks. We'll see you tonight. Thank you. All right. Rob Simpson, Knights Associate General Manager. If you haven't seen Mitch Marner's penalty shot, I said shoot up penalty shot last night. You have to look at it. That was that was a heck of a move. And I don't gamble. And I didn't really offer up any fantasy hockey tips. But if I was going to offer one, hopefully you picked Matthew Kachuk for points in the playoffs because that Calgary Flames team, they're going to go a long way, and he's going to have a big role in it. He just thrives. The game changes. Hockey changes. Regular season early on. It's guys who don't like to muck, who tend to do very, very well. It's like Mike Babcock, the head coach of the Maple Leafs at the beginning of the year, would talk a lot about, hey, we might be winning and scoring a lot of goals, but no, 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 this this isn't, don't celebrate this. This is not the way that you win. No, you've got to be able to muck because once the playoffs begin, 
You don't see as many of the same kinds of penalties called. Guys are giving you less space. Rose sent a great email. Rose said, I just have to say I can't believe that a referee would give a penalty out to a team in the third overtime period of a do-or-die game. This happened last night as the Ottawa 67s were playing the Sudbury Wolves. In overtime, there was a slashing penalty called. And, Rose, I haven't seen the highlight. I'm hoping that... In that highlight, somebody knocked a stick out of somebody else's hand with a slash. That's kind of one of those automatics. I'm, I'm hoping that's what it is because Rose says she felt so sorry for Sudbury. Lose with five players on the ice, but you have a penalty? Not right. Can't tell me there weren't other slashes. Must have been a heck of a game. Ottawa would have prevailed in the series, but a penalty to give them the advantage. Not fair in my book. Rose, that is well said. We're going to take a break. Up next... We'll talk with Jane Roy. She is here, and she's going to join us in studio, and we're going to talk about three things in particular. One, the spring food drive and the use of the food bank, some statistics that kind of have have come out in the last little while. We are going to talk about food waste and how to maybe make use of some of the food waste from, say, grocery stores. It's got to be something we can do, right? We all think like that. Well, there is, and it's being done. And we'll fill you in on that. And we'll also talk about the South Sudan and, and North Sudan as well. A coup yesterday in North Sudan, and Jane Roy has experience visiting the South Sudan for sure. Members of her family are from there. So we'll talk about that. Lots ahead. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFBL. We are lucky enough to have with us in studio Jane Roy from the London Food Bank to talk about a number of different things. Food waste being one, uh, the Sudan, the South Sudan, the North Sudan being another, and why today is such a big day. Jane, welcome to the studio. Great to see you. You know, Mike, it's great to see you once again. Let's talk a little bit first off about the latest food drive because we're going to get into, as we said, food waste and an issue that we know is out there. All of us participate. I hate to admit it, last night we opened the fridge and went, oh, what was this in the back? It was one chicken finger and some potato, but you still had to throw it out because it had been there for, it got stuck in the back of the fridge. Nice to have that luxury where things can get stuck in the back of the fridge and you lose sight of them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, food waste is a huge issue. It's a huge issue for us in terms of individuals. I mean, I know I throw out tons of food and I'm still working on trying to make sure we don't do that. Um, it's, a food, it's a huge issue kind of at the city level and obviously national level as well. I, I can't, I can't off the top of my head think of the stats, but I'm sure it's between 30 to 50 percent of the food that we consume gets thrown out. Yeah. You know, it's like it's huge. Wow. Um, you know, so it's something that we all individually could do better at. Okay. Well, we're going to talk more yeah. about that in just a little bit, but yeah. let's talk about the London Food Bank. Let's talk about the spring food drive because today's kind of the day, right? We're, we're getting going. Yeah. You know, today's the first day. Um, it goes from today until Easter Sunday. So from the 12th to the 22nd. Um, and, you know, believe it or not, this is the 32nd time we've done it. Can you, I mean, I've got gray hairs. It's like, it's crazy. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, partly the food banks are still around, part the, partly due to the fact that we still need the help, but there's still tons of Londoners out there actually needing the help. For a while, we had seen increases in the number of Londoners making use of the food bank. What are the latest numbers showing us? Yeah, you know, the latest numbers show that it kind of goes up and down a little bit. So right now, we're down about 2% this year over where we were last year. And last year, it was up a little bit. Um, But I think one of the good things that we've found is that... um, 
last year, uh, 30% of the folks who came to us the year before didn't come that year. So, you know, in that sense, so, and, and 30, there was 30% new folks who had never been to us before. So it's a bit, it's a bit that the people who really need it are coming to it. And so I think that's a really important message that though our numbers stay the same, they're not always the same people, um, that people kind of lose jobs or they come new to town. And then when they're able to get help or get work, or they don't come to the food bank when they actually, when they, when they don't need it, which is great. If we look at the demographics, who do you find the food bank is there for right now? You know, the biggest demographic is still kids under 18. 38% of the folks that we help are kids under 18. So they're, of course, you know, they've got people responsible for them. So the kids and families. So that's really important. But the biggest demo, the biggest growing demographic is actually seniors. Um, so over the past three years, the the senior, the folks who have come to us in terms of seniors have gone up 35%. So a few years ago, we were helping, you know, 5,000, 5,500 seniors, and now we're helping 7,500 seniors. So so that has been, in many ways, a disturbing trend. And, and it makes sense. I mean, we're an aging population, right? People, you know, seniors, fixed income, and, you know, the cost of living goes up, and it, it, it makes sense. But it's still disturbing. We're talking with Jane Roy in studio here on London Live. And today, again, is the start of the spring food drive. As Jane says, 32nd annual. Last year, 67,000-plus pounds of food was collected. Do you look at that and try and top it every That sounds so strange. But in life, <laughs> we, we have that little competitive streak in all of us saying, okay, well, we've done this. Let's do better the next time. Is that something that everyone weighs into? Because it? it really isn't the goal of this. No, you know— it- it's it's good for us to tell people where it was last year, but I think it always has to be put in context um, in terms of that fits into the larger goal in terms of how much actually was donated throughout the whole course of the year. You know, we had over 2 million pounds, 2.25 million pounds worth of food donated. So if it goes down, it's okay. If, you know, I think it's, this is, this drive is still, it's really important. We still need people's help. We still need the food. Um, but really it's about, it, it happens consistently throughout the course of the year. So if it goes down again, it's okay. If it goes up, it's amazing. It's wonderful. And and whatever anybody can do, it's great. And people themselves are facing stress, right? So, you know, the cost of food is going up. They themselves, you know, their, their disposable income is shrinking. So sometimes they don't have as much disposable income to help somebody else as they do as well. So if again, if it goes down, it's okay. But of course, yeah, we want your help. <laughs> <laughs> well, how do we help out? What are the best things we can do? Well, what's um, between now and the end, there'll be some grocery, there'll be some volunteers in grocery stores or bags in grocery stores or, or basically, you know, buy a few items or a bag full of items. And then at the grocery store, there's um, in all of all of them, there are bins, drop it off there, take it to a fire station. Um, and then what's a little different this year is we're, we're going to be inserting the bags, the typical food drive bags, into the paper during the middle of the drive just to see a little bit to see if that kind of gives a good push towards the end. Okay. So, yeah. So it's, it's again, it's a little bit different, but, you know, whatever comes in is great. The one thing that is different this year is that um, there's an apartment drive happening in the middle of it. So generally that happens not at the same time. So last year they collected 23,000 pounds. So there's going to be that kind of big bump as well. Okay. That kind of happens with, with all the apartment stores, or apartment stores, all the apartments. Um, the London Property Management Association is running that, which is which will be amazing, which will be a big help. All right. And fresh foods and yeah. things like that. Yeah. Where do we stand on how that, because I think that's something that we maybe lose sight of when you think about food donations, so often it's non-perishables. What do we do with fresh? You know, fresh is incredibly important. Um, and 
the thing with Fresh is that the donations to the food bank at Fresh have actually gone up, which is which has been amazing. But people need to bring it to us directly. I mean, there is a reason we can goods and we dry goods because it, it keeps longer, you know. And and but for sure, the fresh stuff is nutritional. It's wonderful. All of our food habits and our food cooking habits are changing. But if if folks have fresh, you know, bring it right down to the food bank. That that's really important. We've got the coolers, we've got the freezers, um, and then we can also distribute it almost immediately, which is which is really important with fresh. Um, and, you know, we particularly target fresh during the June drive in particular um, and get people thinking about growing food, um, you know, donating. And then the other big thing that's happening with fresh, which is a great segue into the whole food wastage thing, is, you know, we're working with some of the grocery stores to try to get food that would normally be thrown out but is still healthy and still good um, to come to the food bank as well. Kind of a a refresh kind of idea. Wow. Well, we're going to talk about that. We'll take a quick break. We have news coming up with Jacqueline LaBelle. Jane Roy is with us in studio, and we are going to talk about food waste. Yesterday, Dr. Paul Vanderwerf was on London Live, and you heard throughout the day, throughout the afternoon from 980 CFPL News, just about the number of dollars that are wasted every year by the average family of four in London. $600. And if you think, I don't know what the average grocery bill is for a family of four anymore, but let's pin it at $800, be somewhere around there. That's almost an entire grocery thrown out in the garbage. Jacqueline LaBelle is next with news and then more with Jane Roy from the London Food Bank. Remember, 2019 Spring Food Drive, 32nd annual underway now. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Jane Roy is with us. And Jane, one of the things we were talking about before news was food waste. It's been a big topic thanks to a study done at Western University by Heal. And we really need to take a look at this as maybe one of those things that we can make changes to because we have refrigerators and sometimes there can be things that just get hidden back in those refrigerators. You don't see them or you have leftovers. You make too much. But there are other things. You mentioned grocery stores before we went away to break because grocery stores and restaurants have to adhere to certain rules and we do have a lot of food that must be thrown out for certain reasons however is there not something we could do to kind of find a gray area in those rules so that we're making use of some of that instead of it becoming just waste yeah, you know, a lot of those rules that govern them govern us as well because food safety is incredibly important. I mean, particularly when we're talking about food waste and then getting food to folks who need it. You know, it's it's important that that food is safe. Um, so, I mean, maybe it's a, it's a different terminology in terms of food waste, but what we're really working with in terms of grocery stores is that some of the things that they um, follow by, so for instance, meat. Meat has to be sold by the date that's on the package. Right. So if it's not sold, it potentially could be thrown out. That's why you see those 30% offs That's come right. up a couple of days before yeah. hoping people will buy that meat. Yeah, for sure. So, But actually what's happening with, with a number of the grocery stores is what they're doing is they're pulling that meat on that day and they're freezing it. Okay. So as soon as you freeze the meat, it actually, it helps in terms of food safety. It's, you know, we all know that that's kind of what we do with it. So it's frozen. It comes to us in the frozen state. We've got a big freezer um, in terms of being able to keep it. And then guess what? All of a sudden we're actually able to use it. Um, Same thing with bread product and other things. If things get frozen and you handle it, 
more safely, and then it actually can be distributed. So that's been growing and growing in terms of a number of different grocery stores that have been involved. Um, and we're continuing to look at ways in terms of other foods that um, that we can get safely. So produce, of course, is a little bit more difficult because there's not um, – it's not you can't freeze it, you can't do all those things. But but really, um, produce. If you've got a bag of onions, then and a few are are gone bad. Basically, it's for a lot of grocery stores. They just you know it's it's not great. So but you can give it to the food bank. We can remove some of those things and pass them out. Um, so that's that's kind of a growing program that we're really looking at continuing to expand. And and the grocery stores have been great partners, and we've we've been looking at for the past year. And I again I don't know the numbers, but we um, yeah it continues to grow in terms of the kinds of foods and the things that we're getting. That's good. That's yeah, really it's good because yeah. The, the, the fact that we've done this forever, we're lucky to live in the part of the world that we do that affords you that opportunity to just say, yeah, yeah, this, uh, it's it's not what it used to be, and so I'm going to throw it away, and I'll just go and get a new one. Because you think of bakeries sometimes. We'll try and say, ah, oh, these are the day-old donuts. You know, what, what can we do with the day-old donuts? <laughs> do you get calls sometimes from different people who might – handle food, make food, just wondering what they can do? Um, you know, yes. Um, but making food and preparing food, you know, that's a little bit different even there. So, for instance, if you prepare food in terms of restaurants or where it tends to be is more catering. Okay. Right, where there's, a, you know, they, if it's, they really have to throw it out. They're really tight in terms of those regulations because in terms of particularly if the food's gone out to the public, even if somebody hasn't touched it, right. it's gone out. Like, you know, there's all sorts of safety concerns. So I, I get that. So then it's really about how do you how do you deal with that? How do we, even in terms of our own mind, make sure that we don't prepare too much? It's mm-hmm. just, it's kind of, it's tough. And we do the same thing at home, right? We overcook. And then we don't know how to handle that food properly so that we can save it. Or our kids need to be retrained to eat leftovers. Yeah. Like it's, it's huge. I mean, I'm, I'm working through a lot of that with my family just in purchasing based on plans so that I don't overspend so that we're not getting too much food, which is a huge thing when we're used to so much choice, right? I find it fascinating so, that you say you're working with your kids to eat leftovers. I've had the same kind of challenges. Yeah. Is it is it just kids of this day and age who say, ah, that's leftover? I don't like eating the, the noodles. They don't taste the same as they did when they were made the first time. Right. We, got, we have to eat them. We do, yeah. And it's, it's changing all of our mindsets, right? You know, where you put the shepherd's pie in the freezer and then it comes out and it's a little watery. It's like a... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah. at the same time, if we we rewind and and now we've looked at the generation that used to hide money under meat in the freezer or or was able to take something, you take a chicken and they would eat every single scrap of it because they had lived at times when there was nothing. Now we've lived at a time when we've got everything and and we we need some kind of correction in this. I don't know how we create it because as a parent, I sure haven't necessarily been able to, but yeah, you know, it's a, it's a bunch of different things. It's everything from the convenience of it to the time because we're all really busy. Sometimes it's just better to throw it out and start anew and you don't want those fights. But but as we kind of look at those things and just take on a little project. So my little project this year was learning how to make soup out of all of the leftover cuts, you know, from the edge of the celery and some of those kind of things. If we, if we just take one thing and learn it, we'll we'll slowly get better at stuff. So I like that. And just being cognizant of how much food you are preparing. How much do I need to eat? Hey, wait a minute. 
this person's not here for dinner tonight. Instead of cooking for five, we're cooking for four, or we're only cooking for two, or, you know, uh, to prepare things at the beginning of the week that you can then eat and you can portion out that you have for the rest of the week for yep. lunches, all that stuff. And It makes a big difference, yeah. Do you think once we all got into doing that as a routine, it would seem easy? Because it always seems like maybe one of those daunting tasks, like painting the house. Oh, I got to paint the house at some point, but eh, I'll get around to it later. <laughs> you know, it is a daunting task because we are so busy and we're stressed and, oh my goodness, trying to teach your kids nutritional information. But again, I think you just take one idea and away you go. And and if you make one of those changes and you make it a habit, I, I think we can slowly get there for sure. Jane Roy with us from the London Food Bank. Again, this... Spring Food Drive, 32nd Annual, is officially underway today. Jane, you have been able to travel, and you have members of your family who have lived in parts of the world that do not have the luxuries that we do. When you take a look at at that aspect of it, when you see how other people in other countries are living, what does that do? You know, I... It, it's great in terms of, you know, the kids that we have come from a different culture and we still go visit them um, and helps keep the food bank and, and our problems in um, in in line. You know, that we we talk about poverty and hunger here, um, but it's hunger. It's not starvation. In other places of the world, it's starvation and people are living in terms of, you know, it's life or death. So when you go over to, let's say, South Sudan and you see what people have to go through, um, it, it's it, of course, is challenging, it's difficult, it's emotional, it's it's all of those things. And you see them really struggle to live. So I think we have been incredibly lucky to experience that by viewing it. We don't experience by seeing it. So it's why we keep being involved in all the things that we are involved in. Um, you know, the kids that we have are Canadian now, so we have the same problems with them that everybody <laughs> else does. They're they're just they're regular kids, which is great. You know, I'm I'm really I'm really happy about that. Um, but we still think about that in terms of the larger context where they came from, and it's it's difficult, particularly when you hear the news coming out of North, like Sudan, North mm-hmm. Sudan, and the coup and the things that there's some struggles coming in that area for sure. When you look at, at what is happening there with the coup, with trying to figure out who's going to run the country, when something like that's going on. In a country like that. What's playing out for the people that are living there? You know, in I can tell you what's played out for the folks in South Sudan, um, where, you know, they've had an ongoing civil war for the past number of years. Inflation for them is up at 600, 800 percent. I mean, so you, you know, if you can't plant or there's even like drought or climate change or things happening, um, or they have to run due to a war, then they don't have food, and then they have to purchase it. And then it's 600, 800%. They can't afford that. So in the end, they don't they don't eat, or they start eating leaves, those kind of things. In in North Sudan, in a place like Khartoum, where it's obviously, um, it's a city, it's an urban, culture, urban context, you know, who knows? I mean, a lot of those folks are facing huge uncertainty, and they'll see a lot of the same things in terms of, you know, a rise in inflation, um, where they're going to get their money from, it's insecurity in terms of potential fighting, or it's just, an, it's just it changes, and it changes how you you don't go to work. Wow. And if you don't go to work, then you got to try to feed yourself. And how are you going to feed yourself when you don't, you know, you're declining bank account, all of those things. Like, can you imagine if you and I here, this, if Canada was in a civil war, what we would do? 
I wouldn't know how to plant. I would no. like what you know. Our, we don't have enough room. I mean, to <laughs> yeah. I, I live on a postage stamp. I mean, we could live on all the waste, the food waste in our in our uh, maybe <laughs> yeah for a little bit. But it's just it's really really difficult. So you really feel for the people there for sure. Yeah, and the uncertainty that you talk about is one of those things that we wouldn't we can't understand, can we? No, we can't. You know, and when you look at the governments there in in South Sudan, of course, there's always a problem with in both of them transparency and corruption. Um, you've got military rule rate now in terms of of North Sudan, Sudan proper, you know, the people suffer. It's it's the people are the ones who kind of are faced with the difficulties yeah. moving forward. So, Well, imagine that, waking yeah. up in the morning and, and trying to figure out how you are going to feed yourself, how you are going to feed your family. As much as we like to think it doesn't happen here, it does. It does. And that's why we yeah. do have things like the food bank and the spring food drive. It is underway. Please help to donate because we're not seeing families, Jane, make use of the food bank as a grocery store. I mean, it's not that everybody comes every week, right? No. I mean, when you, again, you know, throw out the stats again, the percentage of folks that come once a year is a third, like mm-hmm. 30, 30, 33%. The folks, the average person and the average family comes to the food bank four times a year. That, that's it. So they're coming when they need it. The percentage that comes every month is only 3%. So it's it's definitely used as an emergency service. Um, and it, it's really important to help people go through those difficult times with them and be able to help them as much as we can. The great thing about that is when people give us money, we buy milk, we buy eggs, we buy the fresh stuff. So, so not only is it the, this drive important in terms of non-perishable, but for funds that come in, we make sure that that the people getting a full a full rounded kind of package sure you know, grocery hamper and if somebody wanted to make a donation like that a monetary donation what's the best way to do that you know the best way to do it is online if you're still writing checks um, write a check um, you know if you go online in terms of the website there's links to be able to do it so there's lots of there's lots of different ways or just give us a call and we'll we'll work it through Jane thank you so much for coming in yeah it's great thank you Mike for for getting the word out as well Jane Roy from the London Food Bank Spring Food Drive underway. Just got an email. Actually, Jane, I'll show it to you during the break. Uh, We'll talk about it when we come back because Jane was talking about leftovers. Uh, This may be a solution to our leftover issue. It involves being able to eat them, so that's the key. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Love on London Live when we get emails from McDuff. Lead on, McDuff. And we have an email from McDuff. And the email says this, I agree that we waste too much food, but some dishes taste better as leftovers. This is one of the best points about leftovers. You know, and it was interesting to hear Jane say that she has difficulty getting her kids to eat leftovers. I guess that's it's a kid thing, right? I think so. I don't remember eating a lot of leftovers as a kid. I don't know. You get to a point as a teenage boy where you just eat everything. Oh, you need to finish that pen? You just eat anything and everything. But leftovers, yeah, sometimes, especially with noodles, they're difficult. But as McDuff points out, and here's the point, around Christmas time, McDuff says his family will make a huge batch of scalloped potatoes and eat the leftovers out of the fridge for the next week. After a night in the fridge, the flavors seem to be enhanced. And hey, nothing like cold pizza for breakfast either. That's exactly right. Maybe this is the road to getting young people to eating leftovers if you are struggling. Because there are a lot of things that actually get better. A lot of things with meat 
If you have meat that actually stays in the fridge in some kind of juice, it's like the post-marinade. That stuff tastes great after the fact. Like spaghetti sauce, that gets better after a couple of days. Jane had mentioned soup. You make soup the first day. What's it taste like? It tastes like you've taken water and you've put some things in it and maybe you've seasoned it lightly and now you're eating those things out of the water. Because that's what soup is. But give soup a couple days, that's different. And maybe that's the appreciation that we've lost because too many things come out of a box. And I think kids get so used to doing that. How old were you when you got a microwave for the first time? I think we were a little behind, but I was definitely double-digit age. I was able to use the thing. It wasn't, can you make me something? It was, oh, okay, I'm going to heat this up. Whoa, where has this been all my life? But now we've got a lot of things that are just out of the box, into the microwave, and into your stomach. And those aren't always the healthiest things to eat either. That's just adding to the processed food. But yeah. We got to get that through the minds of anyone who says, no, 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 no leftovers for me. Sometimes leftovers are better. And that's the big key in all of this. What else would be there? Email Mike at 980cfpl.ca if you can add into our list of things that are better as leftovers. McDuff has started us off. Pizza definitely for breakfast. Cold for breakfast, especially if it has olives on it. I don't know about like a chicken pizza. No, you got you to gotta have a classic type of pizza in order to have it work well as a leftover. Don't give me any of this frou-frou, hey, I put an Alfredo base down. No, 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 no. That's not the right thing. No, we're talking pizza that has pepperoni and it has olives and it has sauce and cheese. Lots of cheese. One of those classic pizzas. That's good the next day. You'll learn from college and university days that that next day can't last too, too long. It's, it's more the next morning, especially if you open the box and there it is. That should be refrigerated. But scallop potatoes, that's a good one. I would say spaghetti sauce, really any kind of sauce. You have something where the flavors can actually blend together. Yeah, that's, that's the stuff that we're talking about. And definitely soup. Okay. Couple of emails coming in right now. Andy says uh, Chinese food always tastes better on the second go round. Yes, and again, a lot of times Chinese food. What do you have? You have sauces, or you have combinations of things where you've got a lot of vegetables in. Kind of, I don't know what the sauce is. How do you? Do I want to know the answer to this question? I may not. But how do they make the thing that's kind of like water, but it isn't, but it's very flavorful? I'm not sure. Let's take a quick break. If you do have anything that works better as a leftover the second time around, email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. Because food waste is an issue, and maybe it's, for some people, just a thing they've got to get through their heads. You make a leftover, you want to look at it and say, okay, when we have this three days from now, it's like making a big lasagna. You make a lasagna, that's a good chunk of change these days to buy the cottage cheese and all the other ingredients, but that thing's lasting you for a week. That's big. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Sarah says McCain cakes are better when they're in the fridge at least a day. Really? They come out of the fridge, open the McCain cake, 
Okay. And email from Jude saying, hey, Mike, what was the bet with the Guelph broadcaster? <laughs> uh, yeah, we did make a, a kind of a friendly wager before the London Knights and the Guelph Storm started their series. I had confidence in the Knights from the start. So I couldn't get Larry Malott from CJOY in Guelph to agree to do what I had been suggested that I do. And I felt, okay, that I'll do that. The suggestion was you should be tied to the net like Goldberg and have somebody shoot 10 pucks at you, the, the losing broadcaster. And so I, we talked about this on the show a little while ago, and it, it sounded okay if one person was willing to do one thing and another person was willing to do one thing, that could still be the outcome of a bet. So Larry would have to broadcast wearing a London Knights jersey, and I would be tied to the net, and he has picked Dmitry Samarukov to fire 10 pucks at me. My hope is that by the time we have to square this up, should I end up losing, and I still have confidence in those London Knights, they're up 3-1 in the series, that Samarukov's playing for the Edmonton Oilers, and he can pick again. Samarukov can shoot a puck. But I'm confident. So, Jude, yeah, that's what it is. Larry would broadcast wearing a Knights sweater. We will take a break. Up next, we'll talk vaping. But we're going to talk with Rob Cunningham, who is with the Canadian Cancer Society. You'll want to hear this. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. On this hour of London Live, we're going to talk with Colleen Keel. Colleen's from London, and yet she's going to appear on Wheel of Fortune on Tuesday. Wait a minute. Don't you have to be an American citizen to do that? Yeah, kind of. Wait a minute. We haven't been taken over by the United States, have we? Did I miss that? No, 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 no. Don't worry. We are Canadian. And we are determined to remain that way. Colleen is living in the United States. She actually married an American, and that is what has helped her to be able to go on Wheel of Fortune. But there was a whole step process. It's not just, hey, uh, yeah, I'd like to be on Wheel of Fortune. Oh, and can I also have some fries? That's not the way that it works. You have to do a lot of things, so we're going to find out what those things are and what Colleen had to do. She's going to be on on Tuesday, so PVR that on Wheel of Fortune on Tuesday. We'll hear her audition. We'll talk with her a little later on. As well, I want to get into McGill dropping the name Redmen. And I want to get into this because there are a couple of pro teams that need to be taking notes. North Dakota has changed. There have been a lot of teams at the collegiate level in the United States or even in Canada that have made changes to names that are now deemed inappropriate. And we could even lump Edmonton in the CFL into this. Come on. Make a change to your name. It isn't hard. And I'm going to prove to you in about 10 minutes that really it doesn't make a big difference. Proof, absolute proof, okay? It doesn't make a big difference. You can say, oh, but our heritage and oh. Yeah, okay, give it some time. Give anything time because time will change everything. Ten minutes from now, we'll talk about that. First, I want to get into something that is pretty important. It is underway right now. It got underway yesterday. And it is a consultation that is going to run from now until May the 25th. And it's looking at figuring out future regulations to help protect youth from the harms and risks associated with vaping products. And I look at it as being something that goes even beyond that. You know, it, it blows my mind that people still smoke. 
I really I don't understand. I don't get it. And sure, I can say, all right, yeah, all right. I, it is. It's a habit. It's an addiction. It's all. Yeah, I can. I get that part of it. But anyone who has started to smoke in the last 10, 15 years, I don't get it. If you've been smoking since 1975, okay, yeah, I understand. But if you've started in the last decade, what are you doing? Why would you even start? Have you not seen the science? Have you not paid any attention to the science? What are you doing? you got to stop that. Because in the end, you'll die. I mean, we've got pretty good proof of that. Oh, but yeah, I am come from a family of iron lungs. Okay, well then, you're the exception, not the rule. And in the end, you're going to cost our health care system a whole lot, and it's a pain in the butt, really. You know, people chucking their butts on the ground. If you talk to anybody who cleans up downtown, gum and cigarettes. If those things didn't exist, be an easier job keeping this city clean. So I want to look at this particular consultation that is going on that looks at what regulations need to be brought in for things like vaping. Because vaping is something that is caught on. And while vaping and smoking, teenagers will try and tell you, are very different things, I'm, for one, I'm not convinced. We get an opportunity right now to talk with Rob Cunningham, who is a senior policy analyst with the Canadian Cancer Society. Rob, thanks so much for taking some time out for us on London Live. Uh, Thanks, Mike. Good to be with you. Rob, maybe we could start by just looking at what sorts of things are being addressed over the next month and a bit to try and figure out what should be okay and what should not be okay in the world of vaping and cigarettes. Yeah, so uh, the context is this huge increase in youth vaping that we've seen in Canada. It went uh, sort of two years earlier uh, from 9% of high school students grade 10 to 12 to 15% uh, Canada-wide that are vaping, and that's more than smoking, which is a 10%, and that's up to 2017. And then the indications are from the fall of 2018, there's a substantial further increase and a similar trend in the United States, described by the Surgeon General as an epidemic. So Health Canada is had this consultation. They're responding, and they're looking at a number of things, controlling the flavors um, in e-cigarettes, uh, regulating nicotine levels, um, and not allowing these devices to be so discreet or attractive um, in terms of the design or their packaging, and to control uh, sort of youth access online websites. So there's a series of things uh, to sort of combat um, youth use. When we look at kind of the the stats that exist from the Canadian Student Tobacco, Alcohol, and Drugs Survey, we've got e-cigarettes that have been, you know, booming in terms of use. 23% among Canadian students, up from 20% in 2014-15. When, when people are trying to make the divide between e-cigarettes and other products that are roughly the same, whether it be vape or whether it be, uh, what do they call it, a jewel, uh, and cigarettes themselves, do they all lump into the same thing in your estimation, or do we have to make a divide somewhere? Well, there is a divide, and they are treated a little bit differently. And uh, E-cigarettes are less harmful than traditional cigarettes, and they're supposed to be for smokers who are unable to quit. Unfortunately, some of the marketing tactics um, have resulted in this huge increase in youth use. They're not supposed to be used by youth, but they're not supposed to be used by ex-smokers or non-smokers, and we're seeing this in great numbers. You know, even prompting yesterday, medical officers of health of all the provinces and, and the federal government uh, expressing their concern in a formal statement. Um, 
And uh, the regulation for e-cigarettes is not as strong as for tobacco. And as a result, we're seeing what's, what's happening. So really, there's, there's gaps in e-cigarette legislation, uh, federally and provincially. That has to be closed. In the case of Ontario, uh, Ontario is the only province with e-cigarette legislation that allows advertising in convenience stores. Uh, that shouldn't be happening because kids, when they buy their chocolate bars or their potato chips, they're, they're getting exposed to this, and that can easily change. Now, there will be people who say, yeah, but they can't really buy their own you know, vape or they can't access this because they are too young. What do we do about that? Well, that's supposedly the theory, but these laws are notoriously difficult to enforce. And we know from the statistics, including what you mentioned, that kids are really accessing this in huge numbers. <laughs> so the system of not selling to minors is not working. And you know, we've had similarly historically for cigarettes as well. And so we need to have other measures. And, you know, in Ontario, for example, one of the measures we could have is age 21 for both tobacco and e-cigarettes. In the United States, there's now 11 states that have done that, and New York State is very close uh, to joining that group. And that would get it way beyond high schools, and that would be helpful as well. Rob Cunningham with a senior policy analyst with the Canadian Cancer Society. Rob, when you look at this as, uh, or from a perspective of, of the job that you do and, and as being a part of the Canadian Cancer Society, what concerns you in the things that you see? So we've made such great progress in reducing smoking, uh, including among youth, and we don't want to see reversals in that progress. Um, and, you know, there's a risk and there's evidence that uh, youth are using e-cigarettes and they get addicted but they, you know, they're more likely uh, to go on to smoking, and we certainly don't want that. And uh, so what can we do? I mean, one of the issues is what's attractive to these products, um, and some of them are very high in nicotine, especially the more recently ones uh, that have been introduced, um, is the flavors. Uh, these make it more attractive to youth. We have hundreds and hundreds of flavors. That's not necessary. Those, those, those are part of what Health Canada is, is consulting on. And we also need to recognize that all of the major tobacco companies in Canada are now in the business of uh, e-cigarettes. And uh, they have a long history of marketing to youth that's been found in, in court cases. And, and so that's a concern. You know, their motivations are far, far from pure. When you look at going up against big tobacco, as we've seen a lot of fights go head-to-head with them, it can be a difficult fight. Uh, in terms of getting rid of something like the flavors, give us a sense of the kind of fight you think you'd be in. Would it be easier to do this than maybe some of the other things that have gone on? Well, we, we will need a comprehensive suite of measures uh, to be able to respond to uh, what's going on. The United States Food and Drug Administration is moving on flavors as well. Uh, they're intending to move forward on a rule that's going to say that if a, most flavors are going to be banned in terms of sale, except in adult-only premises. So that would get it out of convenience stores and gas stations. Um, Juul, a major manufacturer you know, of e-cigarettes, partially owned by a tobacco company in the United States, on its own is voluntarily removing most um, uh, flavored uh, products that it sells from convenience stores, uh, though not all. And so uh, it's the right thing to do. Um, you know, we don't need this mass array of, of flavors. It's simply not needed, you know, with, you know, some of which as well have, you know, very attractive brand, you know, names and so on. Um, but it's never been easy in tobacco control. We've had to fight every inch of the way. Yes, there's going to be opposition, um, but we have to keep moving. Anything else, Rob, that you think we need to know that will help us to understand some of the things at play here? Um, e-cigarettes in Canada were only legalized last May. Uh, 2018, uh, e-cigarettes with nicotine, uh, after federal legislation was passed. And until then, 
e-cigarettes were really only sold in specialty vape stores and online. It's only fairly recently that they've been sold in convenience stores um, or gas stations. Um, and uh, we, we should go back to where we were. We don't sell cannabis in convenience stores. We need to have better control. This is a highly addictive product. Uh, we need more regulation, and there's an opportunity to do that. Did it surprise you when the legalization went through like that just a year ago that maybe somebody didn't say, whoa, 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 whoa what are we doing here? Well, it's been anticipated, uh, you know, for some years, but our recommendations were to have much stronger regulation and provisions in the legislation than were actually there. We wanted a tougher. We predicted uh, that, you know, unless there were stronger restrictions on advertising, for example, uh, you would have this impact and that we're seeing now. So right now, in terms of advertising, that's something that Health Canada a few months ago consulted on in terms of further restrictions. But right now, it's possible to have advertising on for e-cigarettes on television, on radio, on billboards that, that kids see, on, on social media, um, all over the place. And, and that's simply wrong. Um, you don't see cannabis advertised that way. You don't see even medical cannabis advertised that way. So among the things that we have to do, um, uh, you know, advertising is part of it. You know, we're supportive of what um, you know, Health Minister Jeanette Petty-Patel brought forward. We think it can be strengthened. Um, but in some sense, um, you know, we know from history uh, that we have to have these measures in place or things are going to happen that we don't want to have happen. Rob, thanks so much for the time today. Thanks, Mike. My pleasure. Rob Cunningham. Senior Policy Analyst with the Canadian Cancer Society. So from now until May 25th, this conversation is going on. And Rob outlined four words, and we're going to get into those four words in a different way. Right thing to do. Right thing to do. Take away the flavors in vape. It's the right thing to do. Yeah, but big business. Yeah, but the the tobacco companies that have been great supporters of this, that, and the other, give me a break. You got into a product, and you've seen a drop-off in sales, and this is a new avenue for you. doesn't matter. People who sold square tires a long time ago, they went out of business pretty fast. Other things come and go. Like it, don't like it. There are waves. Right thing to do in all of this. Now, of course, that's always paled. That is always secondary to making money, success of a business, bottom line. So right thing to do is a hard thing to push. It's really hard. But in the end, you'll find that if you follow it, it does make a big-time difference overall. And that's the government's job here. And that's why, as Rob had pointed out, the legislation that came in in 2018, they were hoping it would be further-reaching. They were hoping it would be more restrictive. And Rob outlines a few things, and it makes complete sense to think that advertising for something like e-cigarettes or any of the products that follow along the same line as those would fall under the same restrictions as cannabis, as cigarettes. Why didn't they? You know, did somebody look at that last year and say, oh, I guess it's different. Oh, it's, ah, it's not that big a deal. No, you needed to look into that a little bit more. Because maybe while it isn't as damaging right now, we've still got some products that are loaded with nicotine. Loaded with nicotine. You don't think the kids know that? You don't think they're using those products? Yes, they are. So you've got to look at what the right thing is to do. And when you are in government, that's your job. What is the right thing to do? Not, well, you know, we've got to throw a bone to the tobacco companies. No. What's the right thing to do? In a moment, we're going to look at an institution 
that has made a choice on the right thing to do. McGill University. And it's time to call on three teams in particular, one in the Canadian Football League, to do the same thing. And I'm going to have proof for you why it's possible for McGill to take a name that is no longer appropriate. Hasn't been for a long, long time. The name is Redmen. And there are other names, a couple which I don't even feel comfortable saying anymore, having been educated on what the meaning behind them is. Washington's NFL team, Edmonton's CFL team, and Cleveland's Major League Baseball team, all still holding tight to their names. Cleveland, maybe you could argue, is starting to say, yeah, okay, our mascot, yeah, that's inappropriate. We're not going to use that logo, but they're not changing the name. And there is no move to change the name. Well, I'm going to prove to them in a moment that you can change the name and that it won't matter if you give it enough time. That's next. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Okay, we need to look at this for a minute. McGill announced today, as other institutions have, as other teams have, that they were going to change their nickname. For a long, long, long time now, going back into the early 1900s, they have been known as the Redmen. And at the time, that name may have been deemed fine because it's been kept for a while. Now it isn't. And before you go jumping up and down about, oh, political correctness is too much, don't. Don't do that. Because I'm going to prove to you that you can make a change, and it doesn't even matter 20 years later. You don't even notice it. You want to know what that proof is? comes from the Washington Bullets. When I say Washington Bullets, what do you think of? What is that? What is that, the ABA team? What was that, the team that Jackie Moon and the Flint Tropics were playing when he wrestled the bear that one night? Is that who they were playing, Washington Bullets? Of course, if you follow the NBA, you know that, no, that's, that was an NBA team. They changed their name to the Washington Wizards. Do you remember when they did it? Oh, got to be a while ago now. 80s? Late 80s? Yeah, at least. No one would have the name Washington Bullets into the 90s and 2000s. That's, you know, that's just that name wasn't right. We're looking at a city that struggles with murders every year. And it's murder count every year. No, no, no. That's, that's not the right name for a team in that city. No, they would have changed that in the 80s. They changed it in 1997. Come on. That's when they changed it. They became the Wizards in 1997. And they did take some grief over doing that. Washington Wizards. What are you doing? No, no. This is the Washington Bullets. That's a stronger name. Wizards. That's not an NBA name. Well, now we have the Pelicans. But that's what happened. And here we are, roughly 20 years later, and it's hard to remember when they changed to the Wizards. It's hard to remember them not being the Wizards, even if you've been an NBA fan all the way back into the 80s, into the 70s. It's hard to remember when they were the Washington Bullets. And that right there is my point. Time will take this away. And I don't care how many championships you have won It's not going to matter. In fact, there is a big open door in our world today. You want to know what that is? Branding. 
Everybody wants to find a way to start out new. You change the look of something, you change the name of something, it's new and improved, someone wants to try it, look at this margarine spread, it's new and improved. Oh wow, I'm gonna check out that margarine spread, yum, it's new and improved, did you know? But that's how we are, that's how we've been advertised to. So why wouldn't Edmonton of the Canadian Football League say, this gives us a great opportunity? Why wouldn't Washington of the National Football League say, this gives us a great opportunity? And why wouldn't Cleveland of Major League Baseball say, this gives us a great opportunity? Because right now, no one's really doing that. Cleveland has kind of relented because of their mascot. And, well, we're not going to be using that mascot. But overall, they're not looking at changing their names. All right, Bob, you've got 60 seconds. I think I know where you're going to come from on this. Fire away. No, easy, Mike. No, I I was just wondering, have you you ever talked to any Native people about this on this topic? Have you ever spent time with them on this? And the only reason I'm saying this, and I'm not, look, I'm not not picking sides here. If there's a group that don't, that want those names changed, and the Native people, uh, you know, are advocating for that, 100% do it. I'm not taking sides, but what I'm going to say here is just from experience. Now, I lived up in North, far northwestern Ontario for 15 years. And I worked with, uh, and I've been on reserves a lot, and I worked with people from Rat Portage Reserve, Shoal Lake, Rising Arrows, and White Dog. And when I work with these people, and I went and I spent time with them on the reserves and everything, you know what they were wearing? They were wearing Washington Redskin jerseys, Blackhawk jerseys, Cleveland Indians, um, and, uh, and you know, and, and things like that. You no, know, any team, and never once in all the years that I was associating with these people had I ever heard anything mentioned that they were offended about any of these teams. As a matter of fact, what I got out of it is they were kind of like proud about it that they were, they, you know, that they're they're logo of their people were on a jersey. I mean, that's what I got from it, but I never once heard in all those years of anybody saying anything like, we got to get rid of this. So that's where I'm coming from, and maybe we should just directly consult with these people. Maybe have some, uh, some uh, Aboriginal people call in today and, and, and voice their opinion on how they feel about this. Because I have never heard anyone from that community call in when this topic is raised. But I, I must say one thing. I got a new name for the Boston Bruins. It's the Boston Baby Bears. <laughs> like after last night's <laughs> performance, like I'm like, okay, that's like oh, I got to hand it to the Leafs. So honestly, they played a stellar game, and Anderson was fantastic in the pipes. And uh, hey, one to nothing, you know. Yeah, well, we'll see. It's it's a long series. I do know that there have been native groups that have spoken out about the name Washington Redskins in the National Football League. I know that for sure. It's it's been happening for a long, long time. Yeah, but to, to get a big consensus here, because I'm just I'm not making this up. I, I, I this is what I've experienced. And, okay, and, and and that's all I'm saying. Uh, uh, so if you know if we have uh, people concerned about that, yeah, let's listen. Okay. Let's well, hey, Bob, them. you make it. You make a great point, and I think that's it. It should be always up to as many people as possible to try and get a consensus on things. But I know that there have been groups that have been unhappy with this, and if the overall image is what it is, then you need to make the change. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to argue with you there, Mike. Uh, you know, if if the, if the majority of the, of the uh, that community, Aboriginal community, um, on you know, in North America, wants something changed, 
they should they should step forward and and, and strongly advocate for that. And let's and let's hear from them. Okay, Bob. Thanks for the call. All right, Mike. Okay, we'll see what happens with the Bruins and the Leafs in Game Two tomorrow. Nights and Storm Game Five tonight. We'll have coverage of that. We'll talk more about that before the show ends today. And we are going to meet Colleen Keel, who is going to be on Wheel of Fortune on Tuesday. Londoner now living in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Next, though, we've got news. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Don't forget, there are some tickets available. London Knights and Guelph Storm game number five tonight. We'll have coverage starting at 6.30. If the Knights win, they are off to the Western Conference Finals. If the Guelph Storm win, there will be a game six tomorrow. That's the way it works. Tickets available. Get there. Make some noise. Budweiser Gardens is amazing when it is rocking, and it has been a couple of times during the playoffs. If you've never experienced that, look up getting a ticket for tonight. 519-681-0800. Drop by the Knights Armories or go online to LondonKnights.com. Someone else who hopes to be doing some winning in the very near future is Colleen Keel, who is from London. And we found out yesterday we were going to have a chance to talk with her today. That's coming up in three minutes on London Live. Colleen Keel is from London and is now living in the United States in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And because of that, and because of the fact that she has married an American, she was able to put together an audition and send it in for Wheel of Fortune. Here's just an excerpt from Colleen's audition. I'm relatively new here in the U.S. after recently getting married 18 months ago. I am from Canada, from London, Ontario. I host a pretty good party. I'm loving life in my 50s. I enjoy traveling and the outdoors. So Wheel of Fortune, I'm asking you to let me cross California off my list and the opportunity to ask for the letter Z. (laughs) That got her selected. Now, that was not the final hoop. That was not the final hurdle. Colleen, in a moment, is going to explain in depth what it takes to get onto an American game show like Wheel of Fortune. This is not sit in the studio audience and wait for your name to be called. There are shows that do that, and I don't think you have to have any American connections in order to make it happen. But for Wheel of Fortune, you have to go through a pretty intense process. She'll take us through it. She will be on on Tuesday if you want to set your PBR. She's on London Live next. Colleen Keel. This is London Live and Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. If you could pick a game show to be on, Moda B. Remember Definition? When I was a kid, I always wanted to be on Definition. Jim Perry, was that the host? It was kind of like Wheel of Fortune. I think it even predated Wheel of Fortune. Maybe Wheel of Fortune figured out how to be Wheel of Fortune from Canada's own definition. I don't know. Right now, though, we have an opportunity to talk with somebody who is from London and going to be on Wheel of Fortune on Tuesday. Please welcome to London Live, Colleen Keel. Colleen, how are you? Fantastic. How are you, Mike? Not bad. We've been missing you in London because you've done all kinds of great work in this city. Now you're doing great work in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and we are going to get to see you again on Wheel of Fortune. This is amazing. (laughs) It's pretty, pretty cool, let me tell you. Yes. 
Thank okay. you. <laughs> you have to tell us how one goes about getting onto Wheel of Fortune. I'm pretty sure Pat or Vanna says it at the end of the show uh, that here's what you need to do. But I'm, I've, you know, I'm mentally drained by then. I can never remember what that is. <laughs> how did you go about doing this? There's a couple of options. So as a U.S. resident, you can either submit a one-minute video or you can attend one of their um, little wheelmobile events for the big yellow bus that travels across America. And I was watching the show one afternoon, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm in the U.S. now. I can totally apply to be on Wheel of Fortune. And I sent in a one-minute audition video. <laughs> okay, and uh, we are going to be able to hear a little bit of that audition video in a little bit, but when you go looking to put together a, a Wheel of Fortune audition video, what are you trying to show off? You're very good at buying vowels? What What are you trying to show? Absolutely. No, I just, I'm a bit of a word person, kind of crazy person as far as that goes. It was um, just kind of showcased how clear and concise you can be and just kind of, you know, create that energy, which is obviously what I have. And when they see all these videos or wheelmobile people, they actually see over a million people's videos and auditions a year. Come on. So wait a minute. When they yeah. say you've got a one in a million chance, just for argument's Correct. sake, that's kind of what this is like. It is. So <laughs> I got an email saying they received my video and they wanted to see me again. I'm like, what? So I went to Indianapolis and um, we there was about 65 other contestants from surrounding states. And we played the game and we had a five-minute test, which was ridiculously hard. And um, we were told that we would find out within two weeks if we were going to be a future Wheel of Fortune contestant. And I didn't hear anything in two weeks. And my mother is like, what is wrong with these people? Um, but anyway, I ended up getting a letter in the mail five weeks later stating that I was going to be one of 600 people chosen in a year to appear on the Wheel of Fortune. And when you open that letter, normally when you get a letter like that, normally things like this, you'd have to think were phone calls or emails. Letters are usually, hi, thank you for applying for this. Unfortunately, we have nothing available at this time. When you open <laughs> that letter, what was that like to read? When did you realize, wait a minute, this this is the acceptance? I, I honestly, I was in shock. I thought it was like someone was like joking with me or something. And I thought, oh my gosh, but I couldn't believe it. I was like, I am going to be on national TV and the Wheel of Fortune, which everybody's grown up with, right? Absolutely. We're talking with Colleen Keel, who has lived in London, done great work with Pillar Nonprofit, now is in Grand Rapids, Michigan. But next week, next Tuesday, you're going to be able to see her on Wheel of Fortune. So you mentioned that you had to play the game against these other contestants and you had a ridiculously hard test. Do you remember any of the questions from the ridiculously hard test? I do. So the funny thing is, so every other person got um, a different test, right? And I said, I did pretty good, but I didn't want you to say anything. The girl beside me was like, I think I only got three, and it was out of 15. And I'm like, I just got 10 right. And I'm like, yes! <laughs> <laughs> so that was how, pretty much how the next kind of, you know, leg started um, for me heading to L.A. So would it be like what you see on on kind of the, the last round of Wheel of Fortune, where it's a few blanks and a few letters, and you've got to fill in the word? Or was it a question about it things? Exactly, exactly. It's exactly like that. Yep. What were some of the words? Do you remember those? 
Oh, well, watch. Well, the one that kind of pops in my head was Ryan Seacrest, but I don't know why that was. But whatever. Anyway, yeah, that was like popped in. But yeah. So, I mean, they were, but they were hard. And we only had five minutes and it was crazy quick. So, and it was a lot of pressure, not lying. Well, thank you, Ryan Seacrest, for helping Colleen That's to right. get to Wheel of Fortune. So now you get a letter in the mail, which which kind of yep. sounds rather ambiguous and open-ended. Hey, you are one of 600 people who will appear on yep. Wheel of Fortune. Uh, what do you do with that letter? Is there a number to call at the bottom? Yes, So you exactly. So you call the contestant department and say, hey, got the letter. What's next? And basically, you wait for a telephone call. And a couple of weeks later, I got a call from L.A. And I'm like, I don't know anybody in California. Better pick this one up, right? And it was a contestant department inviting uh, me to come out in two weeks. They only give you two weeks' notice. And um, to come out for the day. And we went for the weekend. But to come out for the day and, uh, and take Wheel of Fortune. Do they fly you in or do you fly yourself? <clears throat> So they give you a thousand dollars as kind of like your minimum win on the show, anyway. So that's to cover your hotel and your flight to LA. And um, another kind of crazy fun fact: they only tape shows on Friday, so they tape six shows every Friday of the month. And you, so you that that kind of works out well for a weekend in California. That that's that's nice Absolutely. of them to do that. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Now then, you have to start preparing. Um, I can't even think of what you would do. Do you, do you grab an old computer video game of Wheel of Fortune and play it hours on end? Do you do you look at logic problems and word searches and things like that? What do you do? Totally. So download the Wheel of Fortune app is the first thing to do, <laughs> right? So that's a fun game to play. Crossword puzzles and straight old-fashioned, you know, hangman. It's funny how those things kind of come into play again. So who would you play Hangman with? Oh, I'm with my husband or, you know, the computer, <laughs> like that. That's amazing. Workouts. I know, it was crazy. For Wheel of Fortune. Well, That's this it. this is uh, amazing news. So next Tuesday, um, yep. in terms of when do the nerves kick in? Because, you know, this, this is a once-in-a-lifetime experience. It's also a once-in-a-lifetime chance. They have big envelopes in that show. When do you start thinking about that kind of stuff? It was pretty crazy. I agree. So I was totally nervous, like, the week before. And then once we hit the, like, Sony lot, I was like, okay, this just got real, for one. And then it was, I don't know, they, they set you up for success. The Wheel of Fortune team is unreal. I mean, they want you to do well, and everybody was so put at ease, and it was such a family-oriented environment, and it was just great. Like, Pat and Vanna were, like, unbelievable. When do you get to meet them for the first time? Well, it was funny. We were in our contestant area and um, doing legal stuff. And uh, Vanna popped in. I didn't even know it was her. And she's like, hey, everybody. She came in with, like, yoga pants and a little sweatshirt and her little pony on top of her head. And all she said was, I want you guys to have fun, don't be nervous, buy lots of vowels, and keep me busy. Buy That's what her words been like. <laughs> <laughs> the words of wisdom from Vanna White. We're talking with Colleen right. Keel, who is going to appear on Wheel of Fortune on Tuesday. Can we check in after the show, or do we have to wait two weeks? I'm sure you have different waivers and, and confidentiality agreements that were, you were probably working on when Vanna came by. When can we talk to you next about this? 
Anytime after the show airs on Tuesday would be great. Okay, so let's let's say Wednesday. Can we talk again on Wednesday on London Live? Yeah, and find out how yeah, all of this in. went. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Do you have a favorite letter of the alphabet? Well, the funny thing is, on my audition tape, I wanted to ask for the letter Z. You wanted to la- ask for the letter Z. Was there any reasoning in behind that on your audition tape? Because everybody in the U.S. calls it the letter Z. <laughs> I didn't even catch I that. To get my little, I wanted to get my Canadian angle in there. <laughs> and yet they still looked at it and said, this is fantastic, and they took it. Right, correct. <laughs> Did anyone at any point mention that particular moment to you that you had said Z instead of Z? Um, no, it, uh, not my, I didn't actually do it on the show, but on my audition tape, that was the one thing that they mentioned, but they did also mention that I have to pronounce things correctly in the U S. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Well, we will live yes. up some of those moments next week, but Colleen, congratulations on making this happen. Basically a 600 in a million chance. So I don't know what that narrows itself down to, but <laughs> a very, very tiny chance that this would even happen. You made it happen. Thanks so much for joining us today on London Live. Can't wait to watch the show on Tuesday. Thanks so much, Mike. Cheers, everybody. Hi, everybody, too. Colleen Keel. Colleen, take care. All right. Tuesday night, Colleen on Wheel of Fortune. There are certain things you have to watch the pronunciation of. You want to know what one of the toughest ones is? And in broadcasting, this tends to matter. If you ever do radio commercials in the United States... They will send them back to you and say, could you please redo this? If it says out, what do you mean out? You have to say out. Always has to be with an A on the beginning of it. You can't say out, out. So I don't know whether they'll make Colleen say that. Uh, Hopefully she doesn't have to use the word out because that's a tough one. Although she's been living in Michigan for 18 months. I think it comes around naturally. We will line up the London Knights and the Guelph Storm to close out London Live in a moment. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. You know the old adage, live one day at a time? It's important. It's, it's useful. Don't get too ahead of yourself. Don't be worrying about what's coming down the pipe. Just worry about what's in front of you. You have to make plans for the future, sure. But one day at a time. That's the kind of thing that the London Knights are going to need to have squarely in front of them because they will know going into tonight, if they don't find a way to beat Guelph, well, then they have to go back to Guelph tomorrow, and it will be game six, and it will be all complex, and people will be saying they they don't want any of that. You just have to go in today and keep it one day at a time. And it's an old adage, it's a cliche, but it, it really, really applies right now. Blake Wheeler of the Winnipeg Jets was asked a question. The Knights should really watch this answer to Blake Wheeler and the media that Blake Wheeler gave. The Winnipeg Jets lost to the St. Louis Blues in game number one of their Stanley Cup playoff series. And Blake Wheeler is one of those guys that just has those leadership qualities about him. He's one of those people that you just watch him and you think, yeah, anybody could be his buddy. He's just a a good guy to hang out with, that kind of thing. Great leadership qualities. And somebody said, well, you've lost the first game of the playoffs, asking a dumb reporter question. And Blake looks up and says, yeah, well, yeah, we've lost one game. Uh, Has anybody ever gone 16-0 and in the playoffs? Has anybody done that? And that was his answer. 
And that's kind of the way you have to come into it. It's one of those adages that works for life because it would be nice to say, hey, life, yeah, everything's going perfect. I'm going to lay out, I'm going to do this, and at 25, I'm going to do this, and by 30, I'm going to have this, and by 40, I'll be a self-made millionaire and living on a yacht. But it doesn't happen that way, and you have to find a way to adjust. So for the London Knights tonight, it is not thinking about anything that is off in the future. Nothing. There are tickets available. You can do your part by being there and being loud. 519-681-0800. You can drop by the Knights Armories, or you can go online right now to LondonKnights.com. Knights and Storm will have the pregame show at 630. Lots of news and information on the way, weather with John Wilson, business, you name it. Jacqueline the Bell comes up next. Thank you to Andrew Graham for his help. London Live is brought to you by Courtesy Ford Lincoln at 684 Warncliffe Road South. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.